So hello and welcome to the Midlife Crisis Man. Today I have with me Gene Xu. Gene is an American who specializes in business in China. Hi Gene and welcome to the show. Thank you, Joel. Nice. How are we doing? Uh, doing good. Um, yeah. Looking forward to this, uh, this conversation that we're about to have. Excellent stuff. Okay, Gene, so for my listeners out there, would you mind telling, uh, telling them a little bit about yourself, please? Okay, well, I am uh, in my mid to late 40s. Um, as far as personally, I've been living overseas in Shanghai for the last uh, six plus years. And I also only recently just moved back to the United States. So there's a lot of things I think going on in my life personally that, that, that I think might be relevant to your listeners. One is um, I'm starting over as an entrepreneur uh, in my mid to late forties which is kind of a big life choice. Uh, Another thing is um, because of some, let's say, how should we say it? Some medical complications with my my wife, uh, we're still struggling to first child. And one of the things that I think about is, you know, I'm approaching 50 and I'm concerned that by the time, you know, my my son or daughter reaches the age to go to college i'm already going to be in my 70s and maybe even almost in my 80s so those are some of the things that that i think about so right now i really care a lot about my personal health and uh that's probably in addition to my career and the business that i'm launching i think health is the next most important thing that i that i prioritize in my life these days Okay. So how do you, how do you prioritize that, Gene? Well, I've completely changed my lifestyle. Uh, I've done it uh, in, in basically almost every aspect of my life when I was in my 20s or my 30s has now changed now that I'm in my 40s. Um, I, every morning for breakfast, I drink a protein smoothie. And I've been doing this for almost half a year and almost never breaks. So in the smoothie, I put cruciferous vegetables. I mix protein. Uh, Sometimes I put turmeric or ginger. Uh, I put kale, almonds. Uh, So the diet is very important. Uh, There are certain things that I've cut out of my diet. So I no longer drink milk. Uh, okay. And the reason is, is because for men in their mid forties, uh, we have less natural, naturally produced testosterone and milk is good for women because milk produces estrogen, uh, for males in their mid forties, we need to actually suppress our estrogen levels and boost our naturally producing testosterone. So I've cut certain foods out of my diet. One is milk. I also don't eat pork and I also don't eat soy. And that's, that's basically how my diet has changed. I'm not a vegan or anything like that. Uh, and another thing that I've done, and this is something that most people don't know about and most people have heard of it, but I've started drinking Kangen water. 
I've I never heard of that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Kangen water. So uh, a lot of people now drink um, uh, alkali, alkali water, like right. the, the 9.5 pH. Uh, but that only does so much because the way that the alkalinity of that water is produced, it's, a lot of times it's, it's done by with a catalyst or a reagent. Kangen water is done by uh, electrolysis. So water from your tap goes through this machine and it's actually separated. And you have high alkalinity water. You have water that's very antioxidant and you have water that also has, it's been broken into microclusters. So it's much, much smaller. So it gets into your system much faster. It's called Kangen water. That's all I drink. I drink Kangen water. I drink at least two gallons of Kangen water every day. It helps with inflammation. It's got lots of antioxidants. Incredible. It's a machine that was actually created in Japan. And the story is, is uh, this was the machine that they used. It. So this machine is approved as a medical device in Japan. And, and it's produced to help patients with their recovery. And what happened is, is all the patients, when they were checked out of the hospital, they would go back to the hospital with jugs to fill the water that was coming from this hospital. And, and they, they discovered all of these other performance benefits of drinking this water. So, uh, you know, I'm not here to really talk about water, but, you know, athletes like Tiger Woods, if you remember, Tiger Woods had a really bad injury. Yeah. All Tiger drinks is Kangen water because it helps with inflammation. And I've never heard of that. A lot of antioxidants. So uh, I've developed a lifestyle around drinking this water. And, and uh, that's one of the things that I believe is going to help me live healthier longer. So you're trying to put yourself in top position for the potential of kids at, a, at, a, at an older age. Exactly. Uh, brilliant. I wonder how many people are thinking that far advanced, Gene. <laughs> well, I think most most people who want to have kids, and if they don't have kids by their mid forties, then they're probably thinking about it. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, again, this this is not something I thought about in my twenties or thirties. It's just, you know, as father time goes by, then you know, different things start to become priorities in your life. So when, when Father Time came along, what age do you think you were when you started to become aware of uh, the finality of it all? Uh, I would probably say in my uh, early 40s. Hmm. Um, but the thing is, is I was actually living in China during that time. So generally speaking, you know, the air quality in China is not as, as good, but it's not just the air quality, it's the lifestyle. And it's not a healthy lifestyle. I now live in Southern California. So every weekend, my wife and I, we will go hiking or we'll go to the beach or we'll go. Uh, there's, there's the outdoor pools are, are heated so we can swim 365 days a year. Uh, it's just a very healthy, active lifestyle here in Southern California. It's a complete opposite in Shanghai. Shanghai is always in traffic. It's always congested. You spend most of your leisure time in bars. 
I mean, not necessarily, not necessarily drinking, but um, there's not a lot for expats to do in China other than go to bars and go to clubs and go to restaurants because there are fewer outdoor activities. I mean, yeah, you could play golf, but it, you know, it takes you know half day or a whole day to play golf. Um, tennis, you know, it's hard for me to find a, a tennis partner. You know, in Shanghai, occasionally I would play tennis and. Since I didn't have a tennis mate, I would just hire a coach to hit balls with me, and that's and that gets quite expensive because you have to pay for the court. If you're paying, if you're playing in the evenings, you have to pay for the light, and then you have to pay for the coach. So you end up paying, you know, about thirty or forty U.S. dollars just to play, you know, hit the tennis hit the tennis ball for an hour with with somebody. <laughs> yeah, that can get pricey. Yeah, so. You shocked me! You shocked me saying that about the lifestyle in China. I, I thought, this is what my perception was. That it was uh, extremely like healthy, you know, uh, especially with what's advertised on the telly over in UK. Well, I don't know what the definition of healthy is, but if you're a foreigner living in Shanghai, uh, so relatively speaking, foreigners have more discipline. So. We try to exercise more. Uh, we live in expat communities that have, you know, indoor swimming pools, have you know, small workout areas. But it's not just about working out. You know, health. What I've discovered, exercise is thirty percent of health. Diet is seventy percent of health. Hmm. You can exercise. You can run. You know, you can run ten kilometers every day, but your health is not going to improve if you don't improve what you put in your body. So what happens is, uh, in China, you there's so much delicious food, but none of it's healthy. <laughs> All of it's very, uh, some of it's not even clean. It's not even safe because you eat a lot of street food. Um, so yeah, so one of the things that I've that I've adjusted is I also almost never drink alcohol anymore. There are certain things that. I've discovered over time, and this is only in the recent like three or four years. In order to be healthy, several things are important. One is sleep. Yeah, sleep is important. Uh, one is consumption of alcohol. Alcohol is really, really bad for overall men's health, and it's just hard to be in Asia, any country, and not go drinking at night. Um, <laughs> You know, it's like there's these kind of like local restaurant bars in China. There's a lot of them. And it's almost like that TV show back in the 80s uh, about this bar in Boston. It was called Cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where, you, go, that. where you go in and everybody knows your name. Well, <laughs> that's kind of like the lifestyle in China is, you know, all of the expats when they – foreigners and Chinese people when they get off work – they just go to these bars and they can play pool. They can listen to music. Sometimes there's live bands and there's really nothing to do. Uh, so you end up eating bar food and drinking and, and, and in China, there's not this smoke free environment. So when you're in the bar, there's smoke, so oh, no. smoke, there's smog, uh, you're eating bar food and you're drinking alcohol. So it doesn't matter how much you exercise. It's really, really hard to stay healthy. Good God. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I can relate to the two that you just said there because it's something I've become more aware of lately. Um, 
sleep. Yeah. Uh, and certainly reading books around the, the mind-gut connection and the microbiome and all those sorts of things, it's, uh, it's opened my eyes. But sleep, for me, is, is, is critical. Yeah. If I, if I don't get my uh, – it, it, it affects me physically, like as in um, if I don't get my, 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 my regulated sleep hours – um, I can get like headaches and stuff. So yeah. I've got to stay on top of my sleep. That's, that's critically important for me, for my well-being and the well-being of my family because otherwise they get impacted too. But yeah, no, our culture is very similar to what you described as the Asian culture. You know, especially on the weekends, we don't tend to do it through the week. Yeah. But a Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is usually binging on, you know, on uh, alcohol. Like. Yeah, so... So I've not had a, ever since I started drinking this Kangen water. So Kangen water basically substitutes everything. Uh, you'll be amazed how unhealthy bottled water is. <laughs> Seriously. And even, I mean, even alkali water uh, doesn't have all the benefits uh, that, that water can give you. So uh, I, something I'm going to look into. Yeah. So I basically just, I drink this water, uh, my diet, you know, I, I still eat, you know, the occasional sweets and, and there's really nothing that I totally don't eat, but I'm very conscious of what I put in my body. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's kind of, um, the adjustments that I've made as I'm approaching and still trying to have my first child. Yeah. Well, yeah. You put yourself in a really good position. I mean, not, not just, uh, in your business life, but your, your, you know, your, your family life too, like, you know, I mean, yeah. we, we tend to just default through, like you said, a lot of people would probably go to the point of just thinking, ah, well, is this, you know, not this time or whatever. And, and then just, just crack on. But I mean, you, I, I love the fact that you've been bothered enough to still pursue and, and still implement the changes you need to implement to put yourself in a position for good fortune, you know? Yeah. Well, that, you know, it's one of those things that this is all related a little bit to my business. So my business is helping Americans, American leaders or decision makers. Uh, I'm not really helping them with consulting and, and their market interest strategy in China. What I'm doing is I'm helping them develop what I call the essential soft skills that matter so they can make better decisions in China. And those essential soft skills, there's two that are on. One is self-awareness. And awareness includes situational awareness, cultural awareness, and self-awareness. And the other is empathy. So empathy, obviously, is under, understanding what other people value and what, how other people actually feel. Hmm. Uh, self-awareness is understanding the context of how you interact with the environment over time. So one of the things that I've become self-aware of is uh, I can't beat father time. So if I want to live healthier longer, I actually have to make dramatic lifestyle changes. And that's just self-awareness. Was it easy to just drink a protein smoothie in the morning, every morning? Um, it's not easy, but it's one of those things that you just have to do. For a period of time, uh, 
I would exercise every morning before I ate anything. And that's called intermittent fasting, where when your body's in the fastest state, you actually get uh, more benefits from your exercise. And you only have to exercise for like 15 minutes in fastest state before you eat anything. And then you finish your exercise and you drink your smoothie and you go off to work. So these are all lifestyle changes that I've kind of adopted just by being self-aware that I'm no longer in my 20s or even in my 30s. So how, how did you come to these, um, implementing these things? Is it just stuff you picked up or stuff that you just realized was working or? Well, uh, you know, it's amazing. So when I was living in China, you know, as we discussed before, there's, a, there, there's what they call the Great Firewall of China. So YouTube is blocked. Facebook is blocked, uh, Twitter is blocked, Instagram is blocked. Basically, anything that you're accustomed to using outside of China, if it has to do with social media or videos, it's blocked in China. So when I got back to the U.S. last year, suddenly I was connected to the world again, <laughs> so to speak, even though I had a VPN and I could actually access Facebook, but because it wasn't important for my business in China, I just never... Found then once I started getting reconnected to all of these things, then uh, there's so many influencers online. You know, one of the things that I really never thought about, because in China, you know, when I was in China, you know, I speak fluent Mandarin Chinese. So when I when I'm in China, I don't think I think in Chinese. I don't even think in English. So so it wasn't until last year that I first really understood the the word influencer. Because for the six years in China, the business that I was in, uh, we never had the equivalent of something that would be translated as influencer. (laughs) Okay. And since I came back to the US, I started following a lot of different influencers. I follow some influencers about health, I follow some influencers about diet and nutrition. I follow some influencers about digital marketing, social media. And now it's almost a year back in the U.S. Now I'm trying to become an influencer myself. I think I niche that not a lot of people are talking about, but everybody cares about. And that's basically why it's so difficult for people with a Western culture or more Christian, Orthodox, American type culture. Why is it so diff- difficult when quote unquote Americans or, 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 or Westerners, when they go to China? Why are the cultural chasms or the cultural dichotomies, why are they so wide? And what can we do as individuals to help navigate those complexities? And, and that's really what I focus on. I focus on Developing the soft skills, which is awareness and empathy. So imagine this, you know how you are perceived by the Chinese person sitting in front of you. You know what the Chinese person cares about and what that person values. You have that information going in both directions. Then the only thing left is what? The only thing that left is what I say, the adjustments that you make to your attitude, mindset, and approach. 
Yeah. Because when you adjust your own attitude, mindset, and approach, people will perceive you differently. And if they perceive you more positively, then you have a chance of developing the close, what I call guanxi relationships. Otherwise, you will always be a foreigner. And it's not even about language. You know, when I first went to China, I, I spoke Chinese, but I wasn't truly empathetic to the culture because I thought, because I speak Chinese, I understand everything, but that was completely, completely not true. So how did you go about, because um, it sounds like values are, uh, you know, critical to some of this with regards to what they value and, and how they perceive you. If, how, how would you go about um, understanding, is it just a straight question, you know, to the employee, uh, what do you value? And then going back to the boss and asking the boss, what do you value? Or Yeah, so one of the things that I always advise my clients and is you never try to solve your issue or solve your challenges by following tips. Okay. So I, I try to avoid giving um, the, the real key to, to sustainable success in China is understanding who you are and understanding how you are perceived. Okay, so I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a real simple example. Uh, last week, um, I, I volunteered to do this exhibition for a group of local Orange County high school students. There's about 300 of them. And the local businesses would set up these tables and they would talk to these high school students about their careers. And, you know, we had our banners up. And of course, the things that I'm talking about, no high school student really understands what I'm doing <laughs> because I'm not selling physical products. I'm selling kind of intellectual property. And the first question I always ask the group of high school students when they're all gathered around, I said, uh, do, does anybody know what a soft skill is? And some of them gave decent answers, but really high school people don't know what soft skills are. And then I asked them, do you, cause I had this poster or this banner. And um, I said, can anybody tell me what is the meaning of self-awareness and what is the meaning of And of course, high school students also couldn't explain that. So I basically said, have you, I asked them a question. I said, have you ever had an argument with your parents? And of course, everybody said, yes. I, you know, I have arguments with my parents all the time. And I said, well, when you have an argument with your parents, there are two main things that are happening. I, I said, actually, there's many things that are happening, but there are two main things that are happening. I said, one is your parents are not empathetic to you. They don't understand what you care about. They don't understand your peer pressure. They don't understand what you value and they don't understand what you like. They only care about what they think is right or wrong. So they're not empathetic to your values. So that's what empathy means. Hmm. And because they lack awareness, I said, the reason why a disagreement with your parents escalates into an argument it's also because your parents probably don't want to listen to you. Of course, high school students all know that parents don't them because they're parents. And I said, so you have to try to imagine when American business people go to China and they don't want to listen and they're not empathetic to the Chinese people that they're communicating with or negotiating with, 
the Chinese people on the other side can experience that same level of anger and frustration that you are feeling when you're arguing with your parents. So that's what I do. I advise foreign executives how to listen in context and how to have empathy with Chinese people. And that will start your conversation on a much more positive trajectory as opposed to what happens with your parents. You argue and you argue and you, and it escalates. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. It's got so many crossover points for, well, everything, like you just said, you know, life, relationships, any relationship. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I discovered is um, because I've dedicated so much of, of, of my thoughts to how to help other people develop these soft skills, studies, examples, and applications of these soft skills, a lot of people just ask me questions and ask me for advice. And one of the things you'll be surprised, I get more questions about relationships than I do about <laughs> business. <laughs> because, because especially inter, intercultural relationships because navigating those is a microcosm of potentially uh, communications breakdown when you're trying to do business across cultures yeah yeah I know we've um, the, the, the company I work for we've uh, we have bosses coming in from all over the world and gen, uh, generally they if they come in from um, uh, I don't know uh, say like Malaysia or something, they'll come in and, and govern. Mm -hmm. But they come in with the mentality that they were probably exuding in that climate, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't it it doesn't always fit, especially like the Welsh mentality. I mean we, I don't know how to describe it best, but they can be a bit stubborn sometimes, you know? Yeah. As as can most people. <laughs> well everybody has their uh uh, cultural biases. Everybody yeah. has their prejudices. Mm. Um, the key for you as as an individual is is to be aware of it. Yeah. And you know, if somebody is prejudiced against me or uh, to me, I don't care. It's almost for me, it's almost irrelevant. It's only important that I know you're prejudiced or yes. I know that you're biased. Because if I have that insight, then I can adjust my attitude, mindset, and approach to create a, an advantage for myself or create a mutually beneficial outcome, even though you are prejudiced. Now, what most people do is they can't detach their emotions from the situation. So I will react in a negative way to your prejudice towards me. And that will, in a cross-cultural situation, that will never lead to a mutually beneficial outcome. Yeah. Uh, I think actually another way of saying all of this, this emotional intelligence is how you manage your emotions. Yeah. You could be a racist towards Chinese people or to Chinese Americans. And it wouldn't, it's not that it wouldn't bother me, but I can compartmentalize that where I'm focused on the outcome. I just take, I just take your racism as information that I can use to yeah. my advantage. And, and that's how we approach it. That's yeah, it, 
I think our, our businesses cross over. I mean, you're, you're a level up, but that's certainly something that I tend to help people a lot with as well, is, uh, yeah. like you said, emotional intelligence and helping through and understanding those emotions, you know, so that they can, they can process them in the correct way to achieve the outcome they want. Yeah, so, you know, I think the most, um, uh, you know, there's a book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0, but I think it's written by Travis Bradbury. It's probably one of the most uh, popular books on emotional intelligence. And, and I actually bought the ebook and I flipped through it. And for the students and the clients that I work with, uh, trying to develop higher EQ by reading that book is just too complicated. Uh, what I've tried to do is I've tried to make being successful practical. And I just call it cross-cultural performance. So if you look at the way Travis Bradbury frames the problem, uh, basically, if you read the book, I think the, you know, the personality of the person is at the center. And then you got the EQ and you got the IQ and you got the personality or something like that. I think, okay. Uh, you have the, you have the IQ, you have the EQ and you have the personality. These are kind of the three pillars of the person at the center. And the, the thesis is, is your IQ cannot change. You can measure IQ from very, very young. And, and basically that's your IQ. Your personality basically doesn't change. These are immutable things. And what, what the book suggests or what Travis Bradbury suggests is that you can actually change your level of emotional intelligence, standing all of these different things. And there's these quadrants and these frameworks. To me, it's just overly complicated. I mean, you really have to become just a student of that book to even extract any benefit. Yeah. For my students or my clients, I make it much more simple. I put emotional intelligence or your frame of mind at the center of the circle and then the three pillars are things that you learn things that you develop and things that you adjust and what i you know the things that you learn like if you if you go into china and you don't speak chinese well you could learn to speak chinese okay and then you put these things in your toolbox and if you need to take that language skill out you can use it okay those are the things that you learn the things that you develop are the soft skills that i'm talking about the awareness and the empathy and the combination of your experiences, which is still the things that you learn and the things that you develop, which are the essential soft skills that matter. The combination of that awareness and those experiences can help you make the adjustments that you make. The adjustments are what I call AMA values, attitude, mindset, and approach. If you can just understand that you can control your AMA values, you can adjust your attitude, your mindset and approach. This is what people perceive. And whether people perceive you in a positive way or a negative way, it's always 100% controllable by you. And what I hate is a lot of foreigners go to China and they complain about this and they complain about that. And they say, oh, yeah, Chinese people just don't understand this. This, they're just making excuses. They don't want to take responsibility for their own actions, which means they don't want to make adjustments to their attitude, mindset, and approach. Absolutely. I mean, you've got to, 
with my clients the same thing is and with myself i mean self-awareness i did a, i did a mastermind last year mm. and the the biggest thing i took away from it was i i had a victim mindset going on mm. um for that everything is a choice right if, if something's not working you've got a you've got a choice to do something about it or just sit there and wallow in it yeah so it, it was it was empowering to realize there was choices yeah, and uh, it sounds like that's exactly what you're giving your, you know, your clients. Like, yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I also use that word. It's an overused word, but I agree with it. It's 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 an it's a it's a form of empowerment. Hmm. Uh, it's really feeling suddenly that you're in this foreign cross cultural environment, but the empowerment is you're still in control. Um, if you have the awareness and the empathy, you're in control. You can adjust what you say. You can adjust your approach. You can adjust what your attitude is and you can adjust how you, what your mentality or your mindset is towards cultural differences or things that you may actually disagree with. And once yeah. you're able to make those adjustments, then suddenly you find it's empowering because Everything is within your control. You just have to control yourself and manage yourself. Self-management, yeah, yeah. It's um. So, what would you say is one of the biggest when you are working with people? What do you what do you see as the biggest obstacle for people when they when you're trying to implement this or trying to assist them in in this uh, process? Uh, there's there's a lot of words to describe, but it, a lot of it has to deal with um. It, I guess the one word is ego. <laughs> I had a funny feeling you was going to say ego. <laughs> yeah. Um, so ego is probably at the source. Uh, you know, in, in, in Chinese culture, they call it face, the need for face. Okay. Uh, so ego or the need for face really is the biggest impediment to people actually adjusting their attitude, mindset, and approach. Because this is... It's almost like this is kind of like core to who we are. Yeah. And if we're not able to put our egos to the, to a side or not worry about our face, then we will always stay. We will always be unwilling to change. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, but the, the interesting thing is, is when I work with my clients and, and even the students that I mentor, in hindsight, everybody would have gladly made an adjustment in hindsight. The problem is, is nobody is willing to make the adjustment in foresight. No. And it's because their behaviors and their habits have become so ingrained. They have become, so the things that I talk about is what, why leaders fail when they go to China. It's, it's one is their myopic. Two is they lack awareness. And three, there are things they don't know they don't know, which are called unknown unknowns. And you can't overcome your lack of awareness, myopia, and unknown unknowns without developing the essential soft skills that matter, which is awareness and empathy. And that's why we just focus on these essential soft skills as the foundation for everything that we want to do, especially in a cross-cultural environment. Yeah. It's, uh, well, yeah, it's, uh, I'm quite shocked actually that 
that you know what you're what you're putting out there is uh I think this stuff should be taught at schools. Well, that's actually that I have. You know, um a lot of these terms that I'm telling you now, uh these aren't terms that I read in a textbook and now I'm teaching other people. These are terms that I've come up over my 20 years of experience in China that I found helpful in helping other people mm. on this journey. So I call it a journey to become a master of cross-cultural performance. Um, and my vision is that all these terms, after my book is published, will one day enter the lexicon, lexicon of like global business training. I mean, people will start using these terms uh, that I've written in my book. You know. So what's your book called? Well, my book is called, so the book is called China Leadership Dilemma. Okay, so in the early, in the late 90s, there was a book written called The Innovator's Dilemma. It was written by uh, a Harvard Business School professor, and it basically explains why successful large companies fail. And the reason that large companies fail is because they've to their success. All of these new, disruptive, small, more agile companies with these disruptive technologies, they are much faster moving. And these larger companies, they just rely on their cash cow business and they can't make the adjustments. So that's why they eventually go out of business. And it's called the innovator's dilemma, which means uh, you have to stop doing what you've, what's made you successful to not get disrupted by a smaller, more agile, up-and-coming startup company. So the China leadership dilemma is kind of analogous to that. Uh, I'm trying to explain why very successful foreign executives who have built careers leading people and, and, and being successful in their field and in their industry, why do they fail when they go to China? And the reason that they fail when they go to China is because they were successful in a different cultural context. Mm. Everything that, you know, there's a lot of different countries, but since I'm an American, I'm just going to use the United States as an example. That made somebody successful as a business leader in the U.S. will probably lead to them experiencing some type of China leadership dilemma when they go to China. And a China leadership dilemma is what I call an unexpected disappointment, which is different than just the disappointing outcome. So what yeah. happens is, is people go over there and when they fail, they just blame everybody else. Oh, the Chinese employees wouldn't listen. The government is now forcing us to do this. And there's these regulations and I can't get around the Chinese bureaucracy. These are all excuses. These are all explanations why American companies don't reach the pinnacle of the success that they can reach in China. And a lot of them end up pulling out or withdrawing because they don't know how to adapt to the Chinese culture. And anytime you experience one of these unexpected disappointments, I call it a CLD or China leadership dilemma. And that's actually also the name of my podcast. It's called the China leadership dilemma podcast or CLD podcast. And in the podcast, uh, I just give lessons about uh, different cross-cultural situations and help people through these stories and lessons uh, leverage and utilize their imagination 
to understand what they need to change and what they need to adjust. And then and I also interview people. So through the stories of guests who also have experience in, in cross-cultural situations, uh, through their stories, people can start to start their own journey to become what I call a master of cross-cultural performance. It's a cool name too, isn't it? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's got something about it. It's, uh, you know, I like it. Yeah, so okay. so when, when's, this, when's this book coming out? The book is probably coming out at the end of the year. Uh, actually, my, my, la- my latest podcast, which is episode seven, I interviewed a best-selling author. Her name is Sasha Allenby. Okay. She's not only a best-selling author, she also happens to be a ghostwriter. Okay. And she happens to be the ghostwriter that I've actually hired to help write my book. Cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, one of the things we talked about is, you know, we have great chemistry in our, in our sessions that she's helping me extract all of my information. And she just, we just thought it would be a great idea if I interviewed her for my podcast. And, and I think out of all the episodes that I've recorded so far, episode seven with Sasha Allenby is the best one that I've done so far. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, uh, what, do, what, what do you think makes it the best one for you? Well, it's, it's one of the, it's a cliche, but practice makes perfect. Okay. Uh, but there, there, you know, Sasha, uh, when she, you know, when she was promoting her books in the past and stuff like that, she's gone on over 200 interviews. She's been interviewed over 200 times throughout her career. And, um, and, you know, sometimes they're good interviews. So the feedback that she, she gave me is, you know, we had a great interview because I did my research. Uh, I knew everything that I wanted to share with my audience about her, her experiences, uh, how she navigates the complexities of career, how she markets herself. And it just flowed really, really smoothly. She has a, she has an amazing story. The reason she even became an author is because she had this disabling health condition that basically just almost made her bedridden. And she discovered all of these things through these other gurus and people that would help her with her recovery. And then she wrote this book called Joyful Recovery. And I think it was published in 2005. And it's, and it's still selling well. And she still receives a lot of people contacting her of how much this book has helped her. So she's written several books since then. And she's now, she's also a ghostwriter. So she's helped a lot of other best-selling authors write books. And one of the interesting things is, is she's taken 100% control over her career, which means that she decides who she wants to work with and who she doesn't want to work with. So even for me, I had to give her a compelling reason to even want to take me on as a client. And we just happened to have that chemistry. She thought my message was a really important one because she really focuses now on what she calls. That means working with authors who have a message that can actually help people and help the world. Could, could you repeat that engine? Cause it broke up for a second. And we missed what Mr. Liner, what you said, uh, which one The before you said sharing before sharing with authors that got a compelling message for the world. I think oh. Yeah. I said, um, so she's in 100% control of her career, so she can decide which 
authors she wants to work with and which one she doesn't. So she, now she's really into what she calls social evolution. Social evolution, okay. Or, or she's, she wants to work with what she calls social evolutionaries. And that means authors that have an, have an important message that, that you know, can, can you know, help people cure disease or improve starvation or just, they, she wants to work with people who can actually write a book that helps a group of people yeah. reach a higher level of whatever, mindfulness, achievement, uh, you know. So for me, I'm helping people from different cultures work together to create greater harmony. And that was something that she was also really interested in. I can't think of anything else more needed in the world right now, Gene. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So... So this is the journey that I'm on. I'm writing a book. I'm learning how to broadcast. I'm changing my entire lifestyle to focus on health, yeah. family. And, and uh, you know, when we come to England for this Broadcast Yourself graduation, this will be my first time on a plane for almost a year because I don't, I don't like to travel anymore because it's just so unhealthy. <laughs> is, is that a reason? Is it because of the year? No, it's not because of the air. It's because there's a sleep, jet lag. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, I've determined through my research and my practice that important things to health are uh, diet, sleep, and alcohol. Yeah. Or not drinking alcohol. And then, of course, Kangen water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely going to look that one up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's mad, isn't it? We come to these conclusions at a certain point, because like I say, I can relate. I mean, it wasn't so long ago. I was weighing in 17 and a half stone, you know. I'm yeah. down to about 14 stone now. So, uh, but that was all to do with pain and, and wanting to get rid of the pain. Pain yeah. in the knees, pain in the back. Um, yeah. And the, the alcohol thing is just suddenly, suddenly this last, this year, this, a, a switch has gone in me. That's just, just the interest isn't there. So well, we, uh, we can we can talk offline more about this Kanken water if you're interested. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I had a last year. I had a I had a sciatic nerve pain, and it was due to a degenerative arthritis in my lower vertebrae. Okay. That was causing inflammation and kind of pinching the nerves. So I had pain all in, up and down my leg. And one of the things that drinking this water does, because it has so much antioxidants, help with inflammation. So that I'm basically pain free now, and I've been pain free for 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 a couple of months now. So it's it's been really good. That's fantastic. Yeah, we'll have to see if we can get some of this to Wales. I think. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a. Anyway, I'll send you the information, and then you can take a look at it. Cool, man. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so like you said, you've got podcasting and books and business. You're super organized. With the with everything that you do as uh, your interaction in the groups and all the background stuff that you do, so um, what what do you attribute your focus to? Uh, that's an interesting question. For me, it's it's not, you know, focus is not even. I don't even believe focus is one of my my strengths. Uh, I think what my strengths are is is it what I call the essential soft skills that matter. It's the awareness and the empathy. So I've paid for this class. So I'm aware 
that nobody cares whether I succeed or fail except me. Mm. So doing the work is, since I've paid for the class, doing the work is what I need to do. It needs to benefit me. That's one thing. And the other thing is, uh, I always believe, I also believe that my teammates and other people in this course are my friends and potentially future business partners. And even without thinking that far, it's just become a habit where I'm always just naturally empathetic for people who can potentially benefit me or even people who can't. I don't, I don't differentiate between who can help me and who can't. I'm just naturally empathetic to everybody. It's just this journey to become a master of cross-cultural performance. It just becomes a habit. Yeah. So I always am empathetic to the needs of other people in the group and the other people on our team and just naturally contribute and help when, whenever I can and however I can. It's just yeah. natural. It's not something that I do because I'm expecting a return sometime in the future. It's just, it's just the way that I've chosen to live my life. And I believe if other people can also adopt some of this philosophy over the long run, they will reach much more uh, productive professional lives and even personal lives. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, um, I try to live mine with um, compassion and doing the right thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's a way of being, like you said. Yeah. And uh, we, get to, we get to choose that, which is the best bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so all these things on the go at the moment. So uh, can you tell us what the future holds for Gene in the next five to ten years? Well, one of the things, you know, a lot of people have a difficulty answering this question because they don't think about where they're going to be in two to three years or five years or even 10 years. And, and a lot of people, when they think about it, it's almost like there's just, you know, just, there's just like throwing darts and kind of seeing where it lands. They, 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 they have an answer, but they, it's, not, it's not core to what they believe. For me, uh, I know exactly where I want to be in five to 10 years. And it's not even about time. It's about orientation. Everything about my life is now focused on health, family, and the journey that I'm on with this business. Hmm. Uh, to making CLDs or the China Leadership Dilemma making this concept in this book impact the maximum number of people who are doing business across cultures. And I don't really think about how much money I'm, I can make. I think that if you do the right things for the right people, money will eventually come. So I don't need to worry about that. I just need to worry about delivering value to my target audience. And, and it starts with people who want to do business in China and then it extends out to anybody who has relationship issues, especially if it's in a cross-cultural environment or an intercultural relationship, but it doesn't even have to be like that. It's just demographical differences. High school kids and their parents. That's a cross-cultural interaction, even though they're all raised in the same family, but they still can't communicate with each other. So, so I'm hoping that I can help everybody eventually when the message gets out. That's awesome. No, I like that because you, you're right. That a couple of people have uh, have haven't had clear visions, so uh, 
and that's that's one of the things that I did. I did a I did an exercise a while back, and it was a to write a story, and the story was it's twenty twenty seven, and it's snowing outside, and then you just fill in the blanks from there, you know, mm-hmm. going into as much detail as you can. So yeah, I, it's uh, it's an int- I, I like that question because it just I think it tells a lot about the planning that's going into it and the, what you want to achieve and how you're going to achieve it. So, yeah. It, I mean, there's a lot of cliches out there. I mean, you know, you have to know who you are. You have to know where you're going. Uh, for me, it all comes down to, again, the essential soft skills. If you lack awareness, if you lack self-awareness, it's almost impossible to figure out who you want to be and where you want to go. <laughs> yeah. No, it's right. It's stuffed. And, and very few people even think about self-awareness. So, so that's, that's where I try to help people. But I just apply that in a cross-cultural context and, and specifically with doing business in China. That's cool, man. Yeah. Gene, you've, uh, you've opened my eyes today. <laughs> and you've been very informative. So there's lots of things to take away and, uh, and ponder on. Hopefully okay. my uh, listeners can... I know they're going to take loads because I'm going to go back and reflect on this one and take all the learnings for myself as well. So, um, so would you like to tell my uh, the audience where they can find you on what platforms? Uh, well, let's see. Um, well, hopefully when this goes out on the podcast, you'll you'll put my link on it. So, I think I'm the only one who is doing this. So, if you just search China Leadership Dilemma on iTunes, my podcast will come up. Uh, if you search CLD Nation, my Facebook page will come up. Uh, the name of my company is called EME China Consultants. So emechina.us, you'll go to my website. And just for one last bit of information, EME, the E in EME stands, the first E stands for empower, which we talked about earlier. EME, stands for multicultural environments. So it's empowering individuals in multicultural environments. And the ME also has another significance. ME means me or you. So my focus is really on individuals, help on this journey to become a masters of cross-cultural performance. That's awesome. I like that. I like the meaning that's attached, man. That's cool. Gene, thank you very much for coming on today. It was a All pleasure right. talking to you. All right. Thank you, Joel. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Me too, man. Me too. Right. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much, and I'll speak to you soon. Okay. Cheers, Gene.